is continually in the top 50 worst countries to be in if you are a Christian. Uh, hence why it's just, uh, whenever I'm on a mic, it's just Mike and Shana, uh, Southeast Asia, just keep it very general because uh, we don't want to have, you know, with the internet and everything, it's easy for uh, yeah, our friends to get into trouble potentially. So um, that is the context in which we've just been living in. Uh, a, a nation where, you know, pastors in the past uh, have simply vanished. Uh, we have a, a very dear friend uh, who, that we, we really love and cherish, and every time she goes back to her family, back to her village, uh, she's a Christian and, and nobody else is. She's one of the very few in her tribe. Uh, huge pressure um, to renounce Jesus. Just huge pressure. And uh, I myself have met a pastor who's had his land confiscated twice. Um, the second time, actually, there was a, a guy did a really good miracle there, a huge miracle, and he was able to keep his land, but for months it was very stressful for him as that was his source of income and how to look after his family. So with all of that in mind, uh, probably the number one question I get asked, you know, having come back uh, to New Zealand is, wow, you know, like, how do you then, you know, tell people about Jesus? How do you do that in that context? And my quick sort of tongue-in-cheek reply has always been, you know, oh, very carefully, uh, because I don't want to do prison ministry from the inside. Um, you know, but, you know, as, I, as I've thought about that question, why has it come up quite a bit? Um, I'm now wondering if that question comes up, because perhaps, and I'm going to include myself here, we have a very narrow view of what evangelism is. Um, often we think of, and I know I do, evangelism as, you know, that person on the street corner handing out tracts. Yeah, that's evangelism. Um, that, that is one very narrow view of evangelism, but it's much broader than that, you know. And, and you know, that type of evangelism where we live just simply is not going to work. You know, you'll get kicked out of the country real fast. And so evangelism is actually much broader and so for, for us this morning, I thought I'd take us through a couple of verses, a couple of uh, stories in the Bible of evangelism um, to remind us of just how varied uh, evangelism can be. It is the same message. We always preach Jesus, but just the method or the actions, the, the how-to, uh, that, that, can, that can vary. Uh, but Jesus is always at the center, so that remains the same. And we'll be reminded about how Everybody, you know, God's heart is for everybody um, to, to be in a, a relationship with Jesus. And so hopefully you'll be encouraged this morning. That's my hope. Um, I'm hoping that you'll probably suddenly realize, wow, I'm actually already doing evangelism. I just might not have noticed it. And so you'll be um, more, uh, more encouraged to just pray into those situations. And so if you brought your Bibles with you today, we are going to be in Acts chapter 16. Uh, so you can go ahead and turn there, swipe there, or simply uh, follow along on the screen, because I'll put, this, put them up there. So let's just jump straight into it, because we've got quite a few to, to race through. And so we're going to start in Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 13 to 15, as we look at our first case study, and that is the, the woman named Lydia, who lives in Philippi. And so... We'll pick up the story here, and this is Paul and his companions. So uh, Paul and Silas and uh, Luke, the doctor, and there's, a, uh, I think, Timothy as well. There's a few people uh, behind the story. So here it is here. <clears throat> On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. 
we sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she prevailed upon us. I love this story. Lydia, it says, is a God-fearing woman. Uh, She is a seeker. She's not hostile to the gospel. She's curious. Uh, She's seeking to know God, and so she's putting herself in a position where she will find God. She's looking for community. And so look at basically where she is. She's basically in church. She is among other believers. You know, other women who are seeking God, she is in community. So as we put evangelism under the microscope and study it, one place where we see evangelism happening is here in church, uh, here in community, uh, where we hear the message, uh, where we share our lives with one another, you know, over a coffee or tea. Um, you know, it, it happens in youth groups and in the children's group and in life groups. Um, it's in those moments that's where God can use us. God can bring our and others' understanding of him into greater clarity. And note also from Lydia's story here, note also, you know, who does the work as we share our faith? God does. You know, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. It takes the pressure off a little bit, doesn't it? You know, like you don't need to have your flashcards of, oh, I need to tick this off and this off and this off. No, man, you just be natural. You just be there, be present, and just allow the Holy Spirit to use you and let, and let God do the work. Next, we see in this example the type of people that need the gospel, that need Jesus. And in this example, it is the rich that need to know Jesus. You see, Lydia, we learn, uh, was a dealer, was a trader in purple cloth. And uh, purple cloth in those days was made from a certain type of seashell that was you know, hard to find. It was rare. You, you crush it. takes a lot of work. creates purple dye extremely costly to make. Um, and so only the super well-off, you know, the kings and, and royalty bought purple cloth. And so Lydia here, she isn't someone fresh out of university wondering how she's going to pay off her student debt. No, she has, you know, she has established a profitable business. You know, she's rubbing shoulders with powerful people, uh, if not directly with them, then with their representatives. And she owns a big enough house uh, that she can confidently house and host Paul and his companions. So it's safe to say she is doing all right. All right? And what's more, when we read uh, in the sentence there, and she persuaded us, or some translations, she prevailed upon us, that's a very polite translation of the word persuade. Uh, The Greek there is real forceful, like almost to the point of violence, okay? And that's the kind of persuasion um, that's really hard to say no to. And my point is this. She's no pushover, you know? She's a strong woman. She's a woman very comfortable uh, brokering tough business deals. And she seems to be doing okay in life, you know, a large house and family. 
But what she is missing in her life is the good news of Jesus, the gospel. And when she hears it, she grabs it, right? She grabs it with both hands. She is so thrilled to have God, she opens her house up in hospitality. So friends, the rich and powerful need Jesus, right? People like Lydia. In fact, every class of people, it's not just the rich that we all see, need to see, uh, need the gospel. We need, a, we need to pick up the pace, so let's look at the, the demonic slave girl, okay? We pick this up, saying chapter 16, but we're in uh, verses 16 to 19. So the story continues. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that, their hope of making money was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. You know, 2,000 years ago, if you had wealth, if you had power, uh, you could own people and make them your slave. You then had the power of life and death over that person. You could legally put them to death. They were your property. And scholars estimate that at the height of the Roman Empire, there were as many as two million slaves. That is what the world was like back then. Today, unfortunately, this is not hard to imagine a world where people could enslave others, use them, sell them, uh, put them to death. Because even in our society today, that prides itself on being so, so modern, so enlightened, so advanced, unfortunately, nothing has changed. If anything, it has actually gotten worse because the human heart without God doesn't change. It just becomes more wicked. A conservative estimate today puts slavery at around 21 million lives. That's conservative. Others put it over 40 million 40 million people, and whatever statistic you use, 70% of those victims are women and girls trapped in the sex trade. And in Southeast Asia, where we live, uh, it's a big problem. Often young girls are tricked or trapped into this uh, slavery because their families are poor. When a person comes through their village uh, saying they can get a job, get their daughter a young job at a factory over the, over the border in another country, everyone thinks it's a great idea. The parents see this as one less mouth to feed. The daughter is excited. She can send money back, but no one realizes it's all a scam. As soon as she's over the border, her documents are, are held, withheld from her, and she's forced into the sex industry. This is unfortunately the reality where we've been living and we have good friends that uh, are working hard to get these women out of these situations and working hard to prevent these situations. But this is the reality of our world today. 
Not much has changed. It's just gotten worse. So these girls and men today who are enslaved are in many ways like the slave girl that Paul and Silas encounter. They are powerless. They are poor. The slave girl here is at the absolute bottom of Roman society. She is at the mercy of her owners. They have complete control over her life. And if that's not bad enough, she is demon-possessed, right? Held in spiritual darkness while somebody makes money off her. What a wretched condition. And what's her name? We don't know. Her identity is in her imprisonment, demonic-possessed slave girl. That is her identity until until she has an encounter with Jesus through meeting Paul and Silas. The power of Jesus sets her free from demonic oppression. And so, friends, the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden, they need the gospel too. And look at where this is happening. You know, previously we saw Lydia receive the gospel in a church environment. Well, this girl receives the gospel in a public place. Uh, So she's not in church. She's far from it. Because we are told that Paul and his companions were walking to the place of prayer. So they were out in public, out walking to church. And they keep getting this um, demonic-possessed slave girl shouting, you know, shrieking, screaming out to everyone that these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And so Paul and his companions... You know, they are bringing the gospel to the city. They are evangelizing to the people here, and they can't have people think that uh, the good news of Jesus is mixed up with demons. They don't want a false witness. And so evangelism uh, must be done in truth and in love. They don't want error coming into their message. In fact, there may be a subtle error in the demonic uh, slave girl statement because one very literal translation of her statement uh, reads like this. See if you can pick up the, the slight error. This is a literal translation. These men are servants of the Most High God who declare to us a way of salvation. Did you spot it? A way to be saved. Jesus isn't a way. He's, he's not one of many different ways to salvation. He's the only way. That's why he prayed in the garden just before his execution, my father, if it is possible, may this cup, may this you know, judgment, uh, may this death be taken from me, Yet not my will, but yours. He prays this three times. Three times just to really check with the Father, there is no other plan. There is no other plan B. Jesus is the only way. The only way. And as we are being reminded, while he is the only way, all are invited, rich and poor, are free to freely receive the good news. And so we have Paul's words declaring the gospel, but then... It is backed up with his actions, what he does next, that powerfully declares or shows the gospel. And we see this picking up our story from verses 22 to 24. 
The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Why are they being beaten and thrown in prison? None of this needed to happen when all Paul had to do before being seized was say, oh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. Okay? Paul does this later. You can read in Acts chapter 22, verses 25, when a Roman centurion grabs him and, and is about to flog him, Paul asks him, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't been found guilty? And the centurion freaks out. He had nearly flogged a Roman citizen without trial, right? Freaks out. Paul doesn't need to be flogged here. Why, why didn't he play that card now? Why didn't he say, I'm a citizen? Why did he wait for the next day after being beaten with rods, as the ESV puts it, then being put in the inner jail, in a, in a bound in stocks, bleeding and bruised and hurting? Why did he why did he wait until the morning and say, oh, hey, guys, by the way, forgot. I just remembered I'm a Roman citizen. You know, everything you've just done here is kind of illegal. You know, why stay silent? Paul and Silas stayed silent because they loved the slave girl. And just like Jesus took Paul's punishment for Paul's sin on the cross, Paul and Silas demonstrate that kind of love towards the lowly slave girl. You see, the slave owners were mad with rage, weren't they? Right? They had lost their main source of income, and they wanted blood. They wanted revenge. They needed to vent that rage, and if Paul had played his Roman citizen card too early... Who would they have vented their rage on? The slave girl. The oppressed. The only person there who had no rights. Paul had rights, but he doesn't use them in order to further the gospel. You see, evangelism isn't just about words, uh, but it's, it's uh, action working alongside our words. The rich need Jesus. The poor and oppressed need Jesus. Let's look at our final case study, and I'll draw out a couple of applications. Let's turn to the jailer as this story continues. So verses 25 to 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Not like they had a choice, but, you know, it's nice. Anyway, suddenly there was, a, a, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, 
and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. You know, out of these three characters we've just looked at briefly, uh, Lydia, the slave girl, and now the jailer, uh, I, I think the jailer is the character I relate to uh, the easiest, and maybe for you guys as well, some of you. You see, for me, prior to going to Southeast Asia for uh, two and a half years, and before that I was at Bible College for another three, before those two events, I was, uh, I was working at an engineering factory for over eight years. Uh, I worked eight to ten hours a day, five to six days a week. Um, often I was covered in grease and grime and dirt, um, but I loved that job. It was a great job. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it didn't make us rich, like I wasn't going to retire anytime soon, uh, but we weren't anywhere near the poverty line. Uh, we were just, you know, middle-class uh, Kiwi family. And our jailer was a bit like that. Now, he's working a nine-to-five job. In fact, it's a government job. Uh, the Roman Empire paid him. He would, have had, he would have most likely have been a retired centurion from the Roman army, so he's ex-military. Uh, this guy is just your average middle-income, middle blue-collar worker uh, who's not rich, but you know, he's not on the poverty line either. And so we see here that, is, that uh, the middle class, they need Jesus too. And again, we will see evangelism done slightly different. You know, in the slave girl's case, it was proclaim the gospel and then show it with action. Uh, this time around, it's going to be reversed. It'll be uh, action first, followed by a proclamation or a, a verbal declaration. Okay, so back to Paul and Silas. So here are two guys falsely imprisoned, publicly beaten, uh, and now chained in the most secure part of the jail. Right? They are singing and praying to God when in the middle of the night, uh, the, their jail is rocked by an earthquake and all the doors spring open and they are able to be free. Put yourself in their shoes for a minute. Isn't this the miracle they're probably being praying for? All their friends have probably been praying the same thing as well. You know, that God would do a miracle and release them. You know, God has vindicated us. You know, he is setting us free. That, that's kind of what I'd be thinking. But no, they, they stay there. They stay in prison. Who does that? You know, like especially if you are there falsely imprisoned. That is what spoke so powerfully to the jailer, who in a moment of crisis sees the gospel in action. We read how this ex-military, you know, man's man comes trembling to Paul and Silas asking, what must I do to be saved? See, he gets it. No one stays in prison when they have their chance to escape. So there is something far more powerful going on in the lives of these men he's imprisoned. They are unlike any other prisoner he has ever come across before, and he must know why. Why are you guys so different? And Paul then shares the gospel to the jailer 
right? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Again, same message, that never changes. So we see God saves the middle, uh, saves this middle class ex-military man who on the surface seems content with his life, right? He's content until a crisis hits his life. All of a sudden, everything he has, he has worked so hard to accomplish at his job, at his career, all of that in an instant vanishes. And that shame he was feeling or failing at his job was too much to bear during this crisis. You see, his identity was tied up in something that wasn't Jesus. So when that one thing was taken away, it was spiritual crisis for him. And in that moment of need, that moment of crisis, of despair and hopelessness, Paul and Silas were there to bring the good news of Jesus to this jailer. They were there to show and then tell the jailer the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the one and only God where we get our true identity from Right, an identity that in a crisis can never be taken away. Our jailer and his family receive Christ. Church, that's our whirlwind three case studies on evangelism. All our cases of evangelism uh, have the good news of Jesus Christ brought to them that you know brings healing, salvation, joy, hope, peace, restoration. Yet all three are done in a slightly different way. Uh, same Jesus, you know, just as I've been saying. Uh, same message, just different approach. So I can't really say, uh, you know, here is the formula for evangelism. You know, so let's all go out and follow these three steps or four steps or whatever. I can't really say that. What I can say with 100% confidence is that Jesus must be at the center of it all, right? The rest is up to us as we listen to the Holy Spirit, as we let him, the Holy Spirit, guide us uh, in every situation he puts us in. And so we saw this morning the different classes of people that receive the gospel, right? The people that need the gospel, the rich, the poor, and the middle class. You know, there were different life circumstances, weren't there? You know, Lydia is actively looking for Jesus. The slave girl wasn't even aware she was looking for him, while the jailer found him in a moment of crisis. You know, there's different social, social settings as well, wasn't there? Lydia meets Jesus at church. Um, the slave girl, out in public, while the jailer hears it at work. And because evangelism happens in, in so many areas and, and spheres of our life, it means that we all have a unique part, part to play because we are all different. Uh, we're all in different situations, different contexts. And so those situations, those contexts, they all need the light and love of Jesus. So here are very two uh, very quick questions uh, we can ask ourselves as we come to a close. Here's the first one. What sphere or what area of society has God placed you in and wants you to bring light and love there? So perhaps your job means you are constantly or in a position to meet rich and powerful people. I don't know. 
in Southeast Asia, I soon found out that some of my friends that I connect to are, are very well off uh, and have a lot of political and you know, social power. And so I am praying for more favor. I'm praying for more opportunities. So I've shared with them the gospel um, more deeply the love of Jesus with them. I want more of those opportunities because God loves the rich. He loves the rich. So be praying over those uh, business meetings or, or where it is you might be part of. You know, ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom in how to best reveal the gospel. You know, or perhaps do you work with the poor, with the outcasts of society? You know, has God put a burden on your heart for those who have no voice, for the hurting and the lost, the downtrodden? Again, be praying or continue to pray into those areas of society that the gospel would advance. You know, ask God where he is working so you can be part of that too. Why are you working a nine-to-five job, you know? Well, in the case of, you know, primary caregivers like myself this year, you know, working 24-7, uh, revealing Jesus to our kids. Um, you know, God has placed us, in, you know, in the middle class. Again, let's be praying into those areas. You know, keep asking for grace as you're changing nappies, uh, making coffees, teaching students, managing people, finances, resources, paying the bills. Whatever your role is, God has placed you there. You are needed there as a witness to reveal, to declare, and to proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And so our final question uh, this morning is this. Where can God grow and stretch you so that you have an even greater impact as a witness to his love? You know, as we just went through those three cases, uh, case studies, did you recognize the context that were more natural for you? Uh, for you to be a witness in. So for me, I love people like Lydia, you know, people who are curious, who are seeking. That's why I love doing, you know, this up the front here. Uh, yeah, I enjoy encouraging all of us, but I'm always hopeful that there's a Lydia in the crowd, that there's a seeker, that someone who's just, oh, how, how do I get here today? But, you know, they need to hear about Jesus. That's, that's what I get excited about. And so it's my heart's desire that they would meet Jesus here. Or perhaps you are the person who loves to see, you know, hardcore miracles. You know, you have great faith and you love seeing uh, the power of Jesus set people free from addictions and, you know, demonic oppression. And so you love being around people like that demonic slave girl, you know, who was set free. You love a challenge. And so you love meeting new people, you know, out on the street, you know, out in public. You know, or perhaps evangelism comes more natural for you at work, you know, for you as you work alongside people uh, like the jailer's context. And so whatever that context is for you, ask God to keep growing you in that area. Those areas um, where the gifts God has given you uh, can be sharpened to use um, and used to bear much more fruit. But also in that, as a sort of a footnote, be prepared to be stretched uh, in the areas that scare you. Uh, you can't sort of sit back, oh, that's not my gifting. You know, God grows us and stretches us in those, those areas where we're a little bit uh, timid. And so just be aware of those moments as well. Like, you know, those moments where you really need the Holy Spirit. So keep an eye out for those. But look, I hope you've been encouraged. You know, God is using all of us. And it's up to us to recognize that and then 
pray for his help, you know, as we listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting. So I'm just going to close in a, in a short prayer, and then I think we've got um, one, more, one more song. Eh? So would you bow your hearts with me this morning? Yeah, Father, as, as we've just heard your word, God, um, again, we're just blown away that you have come to save, you know, the rich, the poor, the middle class, that you desire all peoples uh, to come into your kingdom, come and come to know you. And so, Father, I just pray firstly for those here, I don't know, who, who may be like Lydia, who are seeking, you know, who are curious, who are wondering, what is, who is God like? What's he like? I just pray that this message and that this ongoing uh, journey, that they would um, come to know you, that you would meet them and just make yourself known, that they would come to know you and, and come to know uh, their true identity that's found in you. And for us, for others, Lord, that, you know, we we do know you. I just pray that this week and the weeks to follow, that as we go about our day, as, as you put people in our paths, that we might pause and just reflect, you know, and, and listen to you, Holy Spirit, and work out, you know, what is it you're doing in this person's life? You know, how can I help reveal you? And, you know, what would be the most natural and just God-honoring way. And so I just pray that we'd be sensitive to your 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 quiet promptings and leadings, uh, Holy Spirit. So I pray for these two things in your mighty name, the name of Jesus. Amen.